I want to read for us John chapter 10, verses 11 through 18. I am the good shepherd. This is part two of a two-part sermon on the good shepherd. So if you didn't hear last week, it's important that you do. It kind of sets up this week. You want to pick up the CD or listen online. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand, cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. A few years ago, Karen and I would get one or two or more credit card applications in the mail every week. I mean, I'm sure that was the case for you too. It's a weekly occurrence and a weekly annoyance. Have you ever looked at one of those applications? KeyBank has one that is 15,000 words long. 15,000 tiny words. Who actually reads those things? My guess is that about 200 of those words make any real difference for the consumer, but they're hidden among the rest like a needle in a haystack. If some good Samaritan would read through those contracts and highlight the 200 words that actually matter to us, those would be the only 200 words most of us would bother to read. And that would be about 198 more than we currently read. So we're Americans. We don't have time for that. We want to cut to the chase. We want to know what difference it makes to me. It's not like we turn that attitude off, I've realized, when we come to the Bible. We read a text like the one we're looking at today, and we want the Cliff's Notes. Just tell me what it means for me and what I'm supposed to do. That's all I want to know. That means we miss a lot. We see leaves but not trees, trees but not forests, ourselves but not God. Give us our rights and responsibilities and tell us what we have to do. But there's a problem with that. What the Bible tells us to do doesn't make sense apart from what the Bible tells us God is doing. And we're not likely to keep doing something that doesn't make sense. That's why we came at this text backwards. When we preachers come to this Good Shepherd passage, preachers like to say, well, that'll preach. And by that, they mean, boy, that, that'll get personal with people. But when we come at this, we usually think and talk about what it means for us, not what it means for Jesus. I've come to regard that as a misstep, which is why we began our study last week with verse 22, not with verse 11. And so what, that Jesus' claim uh, means that he understood himself to be the promised Messiah of Jeremiah 23, Ezekiel 34, and in other places. St. John includes this material 
in his gospel, and none of the others do, because it fits his purpose perfectly. He said that he was writing that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So what does this text mean? It means Jesus is that Messiah, the one that was promised in the Old Testament. But once we've seen that, we're ready to see what it means for us. We need to locate us, however, in the passage. Are we in this passage? We are. Look at verse 16. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. Those other sheep Jesus is talking about, they're us. Most of us were never among the lost sheep of Israel, as Jesus calls them. We were the other lost sheep, the Gentiles, that Jesus also intended to make his own. Think about those credit card agreements. If we were looking at one right now, we would discover a section regarding the bank's responsibilities to us. In this text, let's look for the the shepherd's responsibilities to us, the responsibilities he takes on himself freely in relation to his sheep. First, this verse 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. Jesus has taken it on himself to know his sheep. He calls them, verse 3, by name. Jesus never gets us confused with someone else. When I was a kid, my mother, when she was trying to say something, sometimes she would get confused and go through name after name after name. Um, uh, I had a brother named Kevin and a dog named Cody. Sometimes when my mother wanted me to do something, more likely when she wanted me to stop doing something, she would say, Kevin, Cody, Shane. Being mistaken for my brother was one thing. Being mistaken for the dog was another. We did both have gigantic feet and voracious appetites. And as I got older, my hair and beard began to look a little more like his, but still, you know, Jesus never calls you by the wrong name. He knows you better than your mother knows you, better than your spouse knows you, better than you know you. Each of us is like a deep mine with rich veins of treasure and more than a few undetonated explosives lying around. Most people only know the entrance to the mine. A few people, spouses, best friends, they know the main shafts. Even we know little about ourselves beyond those secondary shafts, but Jesus knows the treasures buried within. He put them there. He knows us. He knows what makes us tick. He knows when we're ticking because we're about to explode. He knows how to diffuse us, how to use us for good, and how to save us from evil. He knows us. He knows the wounds you carry, the fears you harbor, the pains you suffer. He knows your strengths and your vulnerabilities. He knows where you've been. He knows where you're going. He knows you now. He knows you 20 years from now. He knows what you need. He knows what you think you need, and he knows the difference. And if you'll just listen to the voice of the good shepherd, who knows you better than you know yourself, he will lead you into the best life you can have and to be the best you you can be. He knows you. That's first. The good shepherd knows you. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's second. This is verse 15. I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus was speaking to people who knew about shepherds and sheep. Uh, some of them may have been shepherds. All of them had seen shepherds. Flocks of sheep 
were and still are a common sight around the Mediterranean. So were shepherds. One saw them in fields. Lived, they lived in the neighborhood. They were typical characters, sometimes heroes, sometimes villains, in the most popular books. Xenophon, Aeschylus, Euripides, Menander, Homer himself, the, the James Pattersons and Stephen Kings and J.K. Rowlings of their day all wrote about shepherds. So people knew about shepherds. They knew shepherds were expected to guard the sheep. They knew that some shepherds were lazy, some fearful, some stole sheep from other people's flocks. Some even secretly killed the sheep for their food and clothing. People knew that shepherds, even hired hands, were expected to successfully guard the sheep from a lone wolf, but that a shepherd had a right to flee if more than one wolf, pack of wolves came. People knew that a good shepherd would risk injury for the sake of the sheep, but no one, no one ever expected a shepherd to lay down his life for the sheep. The shepherd's life was worth more than the sheep's, and yet Jesus says he will lay down his life for the sheep. Sheep are sacrificed, not shepherds. The sheep raised within an 11-mile radius of Jerusalem in the hills around Bethlehem. Jesus is in Jerusalem as he says this. They were raised exclusively for sacrifice. But what shepherd sacrifices himself for the sheep? This one. The good shepherd. Think about the larger narrative of this gospel. We've been prepared for this upside-down idea since chapter 1. That's when John the Baptist first spoke to his disciples about Jesus. Jesus walked by and John said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is the shepherd who becomes a sheep, who becomes a sacrificial lamb. Think of the early part of Luke's gospel. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world is born where? Where else? In the hills around Bethlehem, where every lamb is born to be a sacrifice in Jerusalem. This lamb, born in Bethlehem, attended by shepherds at his birth, would sacrifice himself for those shepherds and for all the rest of us on a cross in Jerusalem. Jesus makes a point of saying, I lay down my life. He says it, or something like it, in verses 11, 15, 17, and twice in verse 18. He doesn't want us to miss this. This shepherd will protect his sheep, and he'll do it by dying for them. He wants his hearers to know no one is forcing him into this. He lays down his life. No one takes it from him. And so it was. He went to Jerusalem over the objection of at least some of his closest disciples. He went right to the temple, the heart of Judaism on earth, where he staged a coup of sorts and along with his followers occupied the temple's largest precinct for one day. He knew exactly where such an action where such an action would lead. Knew in advance he was headed for a Roman cross. He warned his closest followers months beforehand, we're going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and hand him over to the Gentiles. He chose the time to do this, Passover, the very time when each year the Lamb of God would be sacrificed. 
It was the Passover lamb that saved people when they were in Egypt. The death of the lamb initiated their liberation from slavery and propelled them into a new life. And in the same way, Jesus saw his death freeing his people from slavery to sin and propelling them into a new life and a new identity as the people of God. Now, that's not the end of the story. He not only lays down his life, he takes it up again. When Jesus first told his apostles that he would be condemned to death and handed over to the Gentiles, he went on to say, in the next breath, three days later, he will rise. The good shepherd didn't die for his sheep only to leave them alone and unprotected. His death wasn't the end, but a new beginning in God's great plan to make right what has gone wrong. God was changing the calculus, upending death, creating something new on the earth. And we're going to explore that next week in what I expect to be the highlight of this I Am series. I Am the Resurrection and the Life. There's another responsibility here that Jesus takes on himself. Found in verse 16. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. Jesus accepts the task of calling and bringing all the sheep, including Gentiles, including us. This may not seem to be significant to us at first, but John's first readers may have found this the most astounding thing of all. The Jews from the earliest time in their history were separate from the people around them. Their kosher laws, their cleanness laws, these things separated them from other people. They thought of themselves as the people of God. The Egyptians weren't the people of God. The Greeks weren't the people of God. The Jews were the people of God. When they were in Egypt for 400 years, when they were in Babylon, when they were in Persia, they remained distinct from every other people group. We, they said, are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. When Jesus sent out the 12, you may remember, he told them, go to the lost sheep of Israel. That's just how it was. There was God's flock, the Jews, and there was everyone else. And yet here Jesus is saying, I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen, and I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. By the way, if you want to know more about that, read Ephesians particularly Ephesians 2. The Old Testament prophesied that repeatedly, but it was a radical departure from historical and contemporary practice. As the good shepherd, Jesus took it on himself to seek out these other sheep and bring them into his flock. He didn't wait until those sheep came looking for him. He went looking for them. We are those sheep. We're part of God's flock because the good shepherd wanted us and called us. That call is often soft and gentle. Comes to us in a half-formed thought. There's more. There's something to this. And at first we don't even recognize who's calling. Any more than the sheep recognizes the shepherd's voice on first hearing. The shepherd calls us 
but we're afraid or we're distracted and we don't come. So he comes looking for us and now he calls more loudly and it begins to dawn on us who it is that calls and that he's calling us and that he's been calling us for a long time. We come closer and then in doubt we run away. But still he calls and still he comes and to our amazement, he wants us in his flock. I think Psalm 95 that I quoted from a moment ago was on Jesus' mind as he spoke. It reads, we are the sheep of his pasture. The NIV and newer versions will change this, but this is King James Version. We are the sheep of his pasture, the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. That verse lies behind Jesus' promise that his sheep will never perish, that no one can snatch them out of his hand, that no one can snatch them out of his Father's hand. Now, if you're reading Psalm 95, the very next thing that the psalmist says is, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. The voice of the shepherd calls. If you hear the shepherd's voice, don't harden your heart, but come to him. Trust him. Go where he leads. Do what he says. Be the sheep of his hand. You know what? All you have to do is bleed. You pray. If you come to him, he'll take you in. He'll take responsibility. Something Dallas Willard said struck me. He once remarked, sort of offhandedly maybe, the Lord is my shepherd is written on more tombstones than lives. Is the Lord is my shepherd written on your life? What would it mean for the Lord is my shepherd to be written on your life? What would it mean to trust the shepherd, his strength, his wisdom? What would your life look like if you listened for his voice and followed when he called? The Lord is my shepherd's written on more tombstones than lives. Let's change that. I want the Lord is my shepherd written largely across my life. How about you? Let's pray. Thank you for calling us. Lord, you called long before we recognized your voice. And we went this way and that way. And in some cases even ran away. But you're a good shepherd, the good shepherd. 
Thank you for coming and looking for us and making us your own. Lord, we're sheep, but sometimes we think that we're self-dependent. Teach us and practice what it means to have you for a shepherd. I ask you to do this in Jesus' good name. Amen.